been looking at an idea the last couple of weeks. We've been looking at a series that we've called uh, Small Things and a Big Difference. And this is the idea that, uh, at least for me, I can speak for myself, and I hope I can speak for you as well, that I want to see change in my life. I want to see change in my family. I want to see uh, positive change in my marriage. I want to see change in my community. These are things that most of us would say, man, I'd love to see that kind of positive change uh, in, 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 in those things around us. And so what happens is because I know I want to see these things, I begin to look around to see who are the people that have what I want. I want to look for people that have a, a better marriage than I, I do. I want to watch from them. I want to learn from them. I want to look at people who are impacting the community. I want to say, show me. I want to learn from you how to, to do this. And, and we, I want to look for people who have accomplished what I want. And then I, when I look at what they're doing, though, I begin to wonder, like, man, what am I missing? Like, I look at this person, and they're doing so good. I think, what is the big thing that they're doing that if I could just learn that secret? Like, if it's just the secret I could learn, then I could have the success that they're having. I could have the results that they're having. I could make a difference like they're doing if I just learned what the big secret is, what the big thing is. And this is where we've been wrestling with the last couple of weeks, because it is not the big things that result in the, in the changes that everybody wants. The idea for the last couple of weeks is, is the small things that no one sees result in the big differences that everybody wants. And this is something that we can understand in life. It is the small things in our life that nobody sees that will result in the big differences that everybody wants. So we're looking at these small principles and saying, God, would you help to instill this idea of, of focusing on these small areas to allow the big difference that we all want to see, those changes. And my, my prayer for every one of us in here is that we will be able to, several years down the road, we can, several years down the road, we can look back to this time where we made a decision to focus on these small things and we can say there's been a tremendous difference because of what God has done on focusing on these small things. So last week we looked at our thought life. We looked at the way that we think. And we said, uh, we said that our life is always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Our life, whatever you're thinking about the most, your life is moving in that direction. And so we said somehow, naturally, what we want to do is we want to have worry, we want to have anxiety, we want to focus on things that maybe aren't healthy for us. So somehow we had to renew the way that we think. We had to change the way that we think. And we had this idea that if you change the way you think, then you can change the way that you live. Today, we're going to look at another small area of life that has a big difference uh, that can have a big difference in our life, and that is our words. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 18, uh, the book of Proverbs chapter 18. While you're opening there, uh, just a little bit of a heads up. Uh, today we're going to be finishing this series, Small Changes, Big Difference. No, Small Things, Big Difference, if I can get these things right. Uh, next week, uh, you know, I was one of those things as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, I want to improve my preaching. So next week, we're going to start looking at the greatest sermon ever told. Actually, that's out of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus' first sermon is called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And we're going to start looking at a series, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, it is really relevant to our day and age today. So uh, excited for that. But today, today, we're going to be focusing on our words, the words that we speak. And so if you would just take a moment with me, and uh, let's go ahead and pray and just ask the Lord's blessing on our time together. God, we thank you for your grace on us. We thank you for 
the ability to gather with your people today. God, we know the church is not just a building. We're thankful for this building, this beautiful place, but God, we're thankful more so for your people, that we can gather with your people today. God, I pray that you would speak to every one of us. God, what we know not, God, I pray that you would teach us. God, what we are not, God, I pray that you would make us. And what we have not, God, I pray that you would give us today. In your holy and precious name, amen. This morning we're going to look at this idea about the power of words. And before we jump into that, I want us to understand how powerful words are. In fact, when you look in Scripture, you see God and you see the power that is found in His words. The beginning, first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, God speaks words. And God speaks, and all of a sudden, boom, there's light. God speaks, and all of a sudden, boom, there's planets. God speaks, and all of a sudden, boom, there's fish. There's power from the word of God. In fact, you see this continued through uh, the ministry and life of Jesus, where when you look at Jesus and you look at all the miracles that Jesus did, how many of his miracles were based on a word? Based on him speaking and something coming to happen. I mean, Jesus spoke and the lame man was healed. Jesus spoke and lepers were healed of their skin disease. Jesus spoke, remember, and he calmed the the storm with his words alone. Jesus spoke and dead men walked out of graves. Now, of course, there was the occasional uh, miracle that Jesus did where he spit on the ground and made a little bit of mud and rubbed it in someone's eyes. There's a few miracles like that, but the majority of Jesus' miracles were him speaking, and there was a power that came from his word. God's word was his power. What about us? What about our words? Do our words have power? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. It's our verse for today. It says, death and life are the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its Death and life and the power of the tongue. Think about that. Think about that powerful statement that Scripture just said. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. In fact, I want you, here's our, our big idea for today. I want you to write this down. Is that our words are either life-giving or life-taking. You understand this? Based on what Proverbs just said, our words are either life-giving or life-taking. I mean, think about this idea about the power of your words. If you can think about somebody, uh, somebody that you don't like being around. Picture that person in your mind. Somebody that just, you cannot stand being around. They make you feel small. They make you feel unimportant. My guess is that there's going to be abundance of life-taking words that come out of that person's mouth. On the contrary, the people that you enjoy being around, the people that, that, that you want to be around because they feed you, they, they, hey, those are going to be the people that have plenty of life-giving words that come out of their mouth. In fact, when I'm looking at marriages and, and, and having a chance to speak into marriages, you show me a marriage that is struggling, and I'll almost 95% of the time promise that there is a lot of life-taking words being spoken in that marriage. And you show me a marriage that is thriving. of the time, there is a ton of life-giving words being spoken in that relationship. The power of our words. Life-taking words. There's a couple of verses that help us understand life-taking words, these negative words that come out of our mouth. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, 
that when we have these life-taking words, it's kind of like we're piercing someone with a sword. We're, we're, we're sword fighting, we're lightsabering, we're Jedi knighting, and we're, we're, we're slashing with our swords. Proverbs uh, 15.4 says, uh, the perverseness in it breaks the spirit. That our words have the ability to crush somebody's spirit. And I, I know we've got those cute things. They've got these cute things that you learned in kindergarten. Uh, you know, you learned your parents taught you. You know, like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know who said that? That person was deaf. Was deaf. But like they couldn't hear. But like there's no way for somebody to actually understand and say that is to be true. We have those things like I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. You know what those sayings are? Those are coping mechanisms. Those are coping mechanisms because when somebody's words come at us and they're life-taking words, they do exactly what it says. They pierce us like a sword. They crush our spirit. And so instead of dealing with that, we have these coping mechanisms. Well, I'm just rubber and you're glue, so it just bounces off me and sticks to you. In fact, there's a author by the name of Robert Fulgham. He said this. He said, sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will break our hearts. I mean, think about your life. Think about your life. Have any of you ever had your spirit broken because of somebody's life-taking words that they spoke to you? Somebody said something to you. Somebody spoke to you in such a way that just crushed your spirit. I'm going to guess that out of the hundred of us in here today, I'm going to guess that most of us have been in that situation. Most of us can think about that person. Those words that they said, we can think, yeah, I remember exactly what that was like. All sorts of life-taking words. Sometimes we have these uh, meaningless, unintentional, but still life-taking words. Somebody says something to us very flippantly. They say, oh, man, you got your hair done like that? Somebody says to somebody single, you're still single after all this time? I mean, these, these, these words, that they're not meant to be, uh, they're unintentional, but they're still life-taking. They still hurt. In fact, I think I've told this story before. Growing up in, in elementary school, I had this wonderful little thing called a cowlick. Okay, if anybody knows what a cowlick is, it's kind of like if you can imagine you're on a farm and a cow licks the back of your hair. You have this little strand of hair that always wants to stick up, all right? That was me in elementary school. And I remember going to school, and the kids started making fun of me. They were like, hey, dude, you look like Alfalfa. I'm like, who's that? And they're like, yeah, from the movie. You know, the little rascals, Alfalfa, the little nerdy kid with the hair sticking up? And so this kid starts calling me Alfalfa, and I'll tell you what this happened. This was the rest of my life. This is still to this day, where, where I have to have my hair just right. But man, I, when I was in middle school, I put like a pound of gel in my hair just to make sure it stuck down. My wife was like, or my, my mom was like, Kevin, man, you've got a brick on your head. That thing's so hard because of all that gel. And like to this day, I still have this, this thing where, where I can't just wake up in the morning and go. I've got to comb my hair. I've got to put a hat on because I have this, this, this thought in the back of my head. Remember when they called you alfalfa? Remember they made fun of you because of your hair? Like those life-taking words 30 years later still have an impact on how I live. And maybe it's not even one of those small words or unintentional words that somebody say. Maybe some of you can think about somebody who had those intentional words that, that crushed your spirit. That time that that person said to you, you know, I can't stand you. I found somebody else. I never loved you anyway. 
you're pathetic. I wish I never met you. Like these are soul-crushing words. Words that, that slice us like a sword. That, that break our hearts and crush our spirits. We have an ability to use our words in a life-taking way to crush somebody's spirit. But we also have the ability to use our words as life-giving words. In fact, again, looking at what the Scripture says about life-giving words, Proverbs chapter 15, 4 says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life. It gives life. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. That when we speak these life-giving words, it brings healing to somebody's life. It brings peace. I mean, think about, think about your life. Again, can you think back into your life when somebody spoke life-giving words to you? When somebody said something to you that meant so much, it changed your outlook, it changed your perspective. Somebody that said, man, I'm proud of you. Man, you are the best of the best. When your spouse says, I would marry you all over again, even knowing what I know now, that you're going to lose your hair, that you're going to do this or that. Somebody who just says, I am so thankful that God put you in my life. And those words just build you up. Those words are healing to your soul. In fact, my, wife, my family and I, we've been in this season where we've been building a house. And so I work my 45 or 50 hours at work, and then I go home and I work another 45 or 50 hours building a house. It's the okayest thing I've ever done. And I'm tired, and I'm ready for it to be done. It's been a long season. And my wife, when I'm down at the house working late at night, she'll send me this little text message. It says, I'm proud of you. Thankful for all you're doing. And I'll tell you what, in this season of life that we've been in, when I get that text message, there's not many times that I feel closer to God and closer to her than when she speaks those simple life-giving words, I'm proud of you. Thank you for all you're doing. You're doing wonderful. It's a simple statement, but it is so life-giving. So here's, here's what I want to ask you to do. We did this last week. We did a thought audit where we looked at our life, we looked at our thought life, and we had a scale of 1 to 10. And I had you grade, where's your thought life at? A 1 being on the negative side and a 10 being on the positive side. So I want to do the same thing. I want every one of us to do this with our words, okay? So I think we've got a scale of 1 to 10 on here. And this first idea on speaking to others, okay? You see that scale from 1 to 10. If you do more uh, life-taking words, if you say things like, man, you did a bad job. Man, uh, why is your room always a mess? You always leave the toilet seat up. You drive me crazy. Listen, if that's more of the words that come out of your mouth, I want you to, to grade yourself on that lower level. One, two, three, four, somewhere around there. But as you're thinking about your words, and this is just between you and God, so just be honest. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to be a phony. On the flip side, uh, if you have a lot of life-giving words, if you're the one that is always saying, I'm so proud of you, you're the best spouse ever, I thank God for you, you're an incredible employee. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to work with you. If these are your words, again, let's just be honest. Grade yourself on the higher scale of that level. And where do you find yourself? What's your number today? 
And that's just speaking to others. There's another way that we speak that I think is equally important. And it's how we speak to ourselves. We're always talking to ourselves. We always are. The question is, are you speaking life to yourself? Or are you taking life from yourself by the words that you speak? See, if you've got those life-taking words that you speak to yourself, where you're walking into a situation and you say, man, I know I'm going to blow it. Man, I've always, uh, it's always going to be bad. I'm no good. Things never work out. I always get the bad breaks. Listen, if that's you, speaking to yourself, I want you to grade yourself on that scale on a lower, on a one, two, three, or four. But then as you think about that, if you give more life-giving words to yourself, if you speak more life-giving words to yourself, things like, you got this. God is with me. I'm thankful for today. Today's going to be great. Listen, if that's your thought life, if that's the way you speak to yourself, I want you to grade yourself on the higher level of that scale. If you look at those two numbers, you should have two numbers. You should have one number that you gave yourself for how you speak to others and one number for how you speak to yourself. Which one of those is higher? Which one of those is higher? Do you have a higher of speaking to others? Do you speak more uh, life-giving words to other people than you do to yourself? Because that's typically the way it is. Typically, we speak better to other people than we do to ourselves. Listen, here's why, we, here, here's why I want you to, to audit yourself. Here's why I want you to give yourself a grade. Because our words are very powerful. Our words have the power of life and death. Our words are either life-giving or life-taking. And we, if we make a small change in the words that we speak, if we focus on how we speak to others and how we speak to ourselves, there can be a huge difference in our life and life of those around us. So here's the question. Again, we've, we've dealt with the issue. Here's, here's what we need to know. There's power in our words. The question is, if we struggle with this, how do we change our words? How do we renew the way that we speak? And that's what we're going to look at uh, for the rest of our time together. There's two principles, I think, that will help us to renew our words. The first principle is, is very simple. In fact, uh, uh, when, I was, when I was in high school, I, I, I did a play. Uh, I did drama in high school, and I, I wasn't a singer. If you heard me sing, you'd say, you should not be in a musical. But the drama teacher said, Kevin, I really want you in this play. It was, uh, the play was called Everything I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And I had one singing line, and it was horrible, and I hated it. But she finagled the script, so all I had to do was sing one line. It was terrible. And I'm, I'm not even going to sing it for you right now because you may walk out of the church, and I don't want that to happen. Uh, but the idea of this play was everything we need to know we learned in kindergarten. And so uh, you, what do you learn in kindergarten? You learn how to play fair. You learn how to not hit people. You, don't, you learn not to take things that don't belong to you. I mean, these are the things that you learn in kindergarten. This is what this play was all about. And, and this first principle to change the way that we speak is so simple. You would have learned it in kindergarten. Because that line was, if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all. How many of you guys learned that when you were growing up? You don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all. And here's our principle. Listen, if we can't say anything helpful, then let's just skip it altogether. If you cannot say anything helpful, helpful, then just skip it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, the Apostle Paul said this to us. He said, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
Man, is that verse convicting for anybody in here today? Only such as is good for the building up. Let that come out of your mouth. See, the original language, if you were to translate that from the original language, it says if you don't have anything nice to say, then just shut your mouth. Okay, that's probably not what it says, but, but that's what we need to know. If you don't have anything nice to say, then just don't say anything. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, only what builds up others, only what is a grace for others to hear. Okay, this one verse, if we took this one verse about let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful to other people, if we took this one verse and actually said, I'm going to make this verse my life verse, listen, how many of our lives would change? How many of our marriages would change? Some of us, our workplace, our job, our business would change if we took this one verse and said, I'm going to put this verse into practice. Listen, this, this point isn't for somebody else. If you're sitting there and you're wanting to elbow your spouse, really don't elbow your spouse, elbow yourself. This is what we all need to hear. What are some of the unhelpful things that we say? Two, two words that, when I'm in uh, premarital counseling with couples, two words I say that we need to scratch this word from our vocabulary. Always and never. Right? You get into that situation where you're, you're having an argument, maybe with your spouse or somebody else, and, 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 and we, we, we say, you always leave your dirty socks on the floor. You, you never help around the house. You are always on your phone. You, you never listen, right? You've been there. Those are general statements. Those are statements that we make out of, out of feeling hurt and feeling upset. And when we speak those words, always and never, it promotes defensiveness. It, repo, it promotes retaliation. It promotes chaos in any relationship. Because those are blanket statements that often are not true. We may feel like, well, you never pick the socks up. Is that the case? No. We're saying that out of frustration. It doesn't lead anywhere. Those are words that are unhealthy, that are life-taking. We need to scratch those from our vocabulary. Another thing for, for life-taking words. Some in here are prone to having a critical nature. Right? In fact, I said if you're, uh, last week, if your spiritual gift is criticism, like, you, like that's my spiritual gift is just to criticize other people on how they're doing wrong. Listen, I don't think criticism is a spiritual gift. I don't think that's anywhere I see in Scripture. In fact, if you have a critical tongue, we need to be careful with that critical tongue because there is nothing more life-taking than constant criticism. In fact, in the book of Proverbs 21, Verse 9, it says, Is it better to live on the corner of a roof than in a house with a quarrelsome wife? Translating that, that word quarrelsome from the Amplified. It is better for a man to live on the corner of his roof, up above in all the elements, than living in a house with a nagging wife. This isn't just for wife, but this is this idea of a critical spirit. Because our constant criticism is a weight crushes the people around us. Constantly feeling like, I can't add up, I can't measure, I'm never good enough. And we can, you know, we can throw a few attaboys in there. We can, you know, criticize 75% of the time. And every once in a while, hey, you're doing a good job. But you know what voice we always hear louder than the other? 
Which voice are you going to hear louder? The attaboy or the criticism? The criticism is always louder. It is always louder. You see, there's a difference, uh, there's a difference between being a critic and a coach. And I think sometimes we, we get those two mixed up. A critic always wants to be heard. A critic always has to be right. A critic, a critic always has the right answer and always has to tell everybody else how they're wrong and how the critic is right. But a coach, a coach understands part of my job is to criticize. But I'm going to wait until it is a teachable moment. I'm going to wait and figure out how this criticism is going to be best received. I want to be the most helpful, so I'm going to take my feedback and give it in the right time in the right situation. There's a difference between it being a critic and a coach. We need to learn that difference. Last thing for life, taking words, words that we need to say, we need to stop. How many of you are sarcastic? Don't raise your hand. Sarcasm. Why is it sarcasm is the only time we're ever really honest? It's just passive aggressiveness. Where we don't really want to be honest, but we want to get our point across. And so we say something, we're like, oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm funny. You ever been on the receiving end of that, though? Somebody has that harsh dig and say, oh, I'm just kidding. Do you take it like you're just kidding? These are life-taking words. These are words that crush the spirit. These are words that we need to strike from our vocabulary. Second principle we're going to do, though, if we're going to renew our words, number one, you can't say anything helpful than just skip it altogether. And number two, if you think something good, then go ahead and say it. Biblically, Proverbs 16, verse 24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and healthy to the body. Gracious words are sweetness to the soul, and they are healthy to the body. Again, you can think back to that time that somebody spoke those gracious words to you. And think about how that made you feel. Think about how that, that made you just warm. And notice it says gracious words are like honeycomb. It didn't say gracious thoughts. I mean, we can sit here and we can think good about people all we want. But that's not like honeycomb to somebody else. That's not going to feed them. In fact, I've got a, I've got a mentor uh, who's been a longtime mentor of mine. Uh, he's the guy that kind of helped me figure out what full-time ministry looked like. He helped me get hired at Madison House many years ago. And uh, this is the guy who taught me how to teach the Bible. I mean, he had a huge impact in my life. Very fond of him. And uh, 10 years ago or so, he moved to pastor an international church in Seoul, Korea. He's all the way across the world. I'm like, man, what am I going to do? He's gone. And then, uh, then after moving to Seoul, Korea, he pastored there for a number of years. Uh, then he is now semi-retired in the north woods of northern Wisconsin. So he's up in northern Wisconsin. Uh, he lives in a community where the closest internet is 45 miles away. He has to drive on these dirt roads, through trees, and into uh, the local town's library to get internet. Okay? This is, this is the way that he lives, and it works for him. Happy for him. I'd die without the internet. But that's where he is. That's his stage of life. I remember a couple years ago, we were going through a very hard season of life, a hard season of ministry. And I opened up my email, and I found an email from him. He said, Kevin, I think about you regularly. Sometimes I sense that you're more urgent than others. Today's one of those days. He said, Kevin, I drove into town 
because I wanted to let you know I was thinking about you. Kevin, I drove into town because I want you to know I've never stopped praying for you. Kevin, I know that God put you and Sam in our lives for his purposes. And I'm thankful, and I'm so thankful for that time that God allowed us to be together. This is a guy 35 years older than me. This is a guy I look up to. And I say, if I could be like you, I, I, I'd be doing pretty good right now. And he's writing me to say, Kevin, I am so thankful for you. I'm thankful for the time that God put us together. He said, I'm thankful to be able to be here, to be praying for the fuzzy-chinned Pastor Kevin that I know that God deeply loves and stretches his arms out for you always. I'm so glad I didn't just use those words. I'm so glad he took the time to drive into town, to go to the library, say, hey, I want to share these words with you. Do we understand the power of our words and the people around us if we speak these life-giving words? to build one another up, to encourage one another, to, 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 to communicate what we see God doing in somebody's life. See, encouragement, encouragement is probably one of the most overlooked but extremely powerful spiritual gifts in, in all of our lives. If we would understand the power of encouragement. In fact, one of our primary roles as a, as a body of Christ is that when we look at each other's lives and we see evidences of God's grace, of God's work in somebody's life, that no matter how faint, how little what we see, we're supposed to, to uh, 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 fan into flame what we see in other people's lives. So as I'm looking at somebody's life, I can see, man, I can see God working in you. I can see a change. We see that little bit of a change and we, we, we fan into flame. We speak truth and life into it. We encourage it. And that little spark turns into a bigger spark. It begins to catch fire until it grows in that person's life. Now, I know some of us are saying, well, man, I don't want to speak too much in somebody else's life because I don't want them to get a big head. You know? Then they'll be cocky and arrogant and full of themselves. But our human nature, human nature, most of us, we, we, we live with this inward sense of despair as opposed to this inward sense of how awesome we are. There's that despair. I'm not good enough. I'm not going to succeed. I'm going to struggle. That's why our thought life oftentimes is more, or, or the way that we speak to ourselves is often life-taking and not life-giving. In fact, the people that have made the most impact, think about this, the people that have made the most impact in your life, are those the people who are constantly giving you criticism? Are those the people who saw something in you Maybe when you didn't even see it yet. Those people who believed in you when you didn't believe in yourself. Who are those people that made the biggest impact in your life? Chances are it's not the critic. Chances are it's that person who encouraged you along the way. Who spoke life-giving words into your life. Here's what I want to do. I want to I I invite you to, to have a seven-day challenge. Here's what I want you to do. Uh, this next week, seven days, every positive thought that you have about somebody else, I want you to tell them. I want you to speak it. Don't just think it. I want you to take the time to send the text message, to, to post the comment, to pick up the phone, to, to call, to write the card. 
every positive thought that you have about somebody else. I want you to speak it. I want you to share it. I want you not to hold it in, not let it just be a thought. But here's my challenge. For one week, every positive thought that comes to your mind, I want you to speak it and let it go. And speak life to people around you. For us to learn what it means for us to be a blessing by giving life to the people around us. Do this for a week and see how you feel. See how the people around you react. When we choose to use our words as life-giving words instead of life-taking words. I'm just going to challenge you. See what happens in your life. Seven days. See what happens. Listen, this isn't just meaning about speaking life to others. This is also speaking life to yourself. Again, when I ask you to do that word audit, where do you fit on that scale of 1 through 10? Many of us struggle with speaking to ourselves in a negative manner. And it's so stupid, but many of us do it. And so there's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 30 about the uh, great King David. King David, King David and Goliath, lore, great guy. There's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 30 where, where King David and his men are coming home from trying to join a battle, and they come home and they find their city has been ruined. They find that their wives and their kids have been taken captive. It's a bad situation. Dire circumstances. David's two wives were also taken captive. And the men are so angry. The men are saying, listen, David, you led us here and we couldn't even join the battle. Now we're back and now our wives and kids are all gone. Our houses have been destroyed. And they wanted to kill David. They said, we're so angry with you, David, we're going to kill you. 1 Samuel chapter 6, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, says David strengthened himself in God. He strengthened himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself. See, all of us, we're constantly speaking to ourselves. Sometimes we need to learn how to preach to ourselves. We need to learn how to actually preach to ourselves. Remember last week? That Satan is constantly going to fill our mind with lies. He's going to fill our mind with things that are not true, or maybe they're half true. And so we dwell on those things, and those thoughts become a reality in our life. Where when we preach to ourselves, when Satan begins to fill our mind with those lies, we preach and say, no, this is what I know to be true. So when Satan begins to fill your mind with lies, like you're a failure, you're worthless, you're guilty, you keep screwing up time and time again. We say, no, I'm going to preach to myself and say, no, I am chosen. Uh, I have a purpose. I am more, uh, God wants me to, me to be more than a conqueror in my life. This is where Satan fills those lies and, and, and we begin to tell ourselves, man, I've lived such a bad life. I've made so many mistakes. I'm damaged goods. It's like I, I can't have anything good in my life because I know of how screwed up I am. That's where we preach to ourselves and say, no, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, I am a new creation. I've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, and I am filled with His power. And we preach to ourselves, and we don't allow those lies to remain. When we have those lies that say, man, there's nothing special about you. You're so ordinary. You can never do anything great in life. We say, no, Ephesians 2.10, we preach to ourselves and say, I am God's worksmanship created by God specifically for good works that God wants me to do in the kingdom of God. You learn how to preach to yourself. 
and encourage yourself in God. So instead of allowing these, these negative thoughts and negative words to come out of our mouth towards ourselves, we preach to ourselves and we strengthen ourselves in what God says about us. Every now and then, you've got to speak to yourself and encourage yourself in the things of God. Not just that you can do it, but that God can do it in you. That's the key. That God can do it in you and through you. Just to try and bring this to a close, this is the type of sermon last week and this week, there's a lot of doing. There's a lot of things we need to do. We want to we see the big differences that everybody wants in life. We've got to have these small changes that nobody sees. That changes the way that we live. And that's good. I mean, it allows us to, to have some tangible things. Hey, I need to focus on the words that I give. I need to make sure that if I don't have anything good to say or helpful to say, I just hold on to it. There's no reason for me to take life from those around me. And if I think of something good, I want to have the opportunity to give life. And so I'm going to speak those words to other people. These are, are good things for us to do. But the problem is, now this is why I, I think the Sermon on the Mount is going to be so rele- relevant for us. It's because when we limit our Christianity just to what we do, just to actions, you know what we call that? That's called religion. It's called religion. We've taken Christianity and said, listen, if you're going to be a good Christian, then here's the things you're going to do. That's religion. The problem is, we're not called to be religious. Like, this is what the Sermon of now it's all about. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't get to the root issue that we need to deal with. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says, this is what he says, Matthew 12 verse 34, he says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? And listen to this, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. Listen, your words, do you realize that they reveal your heart? Your words reveal what's going on inside of your heart. The deep recesses of your heart are made visible when we speak. Our, our, our heart, the, the heart becomes clothed in our words. And that's a good thing. Because we never have to, we, we don't have to wonder where we are. We don't have to wonder, man, am I angry? Man, am I critical? Man, am I bitter? Am I jealous? Am I just a mean person? You don't have to wonder. Just look at your words because they reveal what's going on inside your heart. What are your words revealing about you? When you're looking at that scale, what are your words revealing about you? See, we've got to deal with the root issue of the heart. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. The words of the Bible, they tell us a story that, go, that goes into our, our heart and changes us from the inside out. The words of the Bible are telling a story of the gospel, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And when we receive that into our heart, it changes our heart from the inside out. Where no longer are we just focused on trying to do things to please God, but now our heart gets made new and gets changed. And pretty soon these words and these ways of living aren't things we're trying to do. They're because of the change in our heart. Jesus, in the form of Jesus, God became one of us. God became a man. You remember the story of Jesus at his baptism. Jesus goes to John the Baptist and says, I need you to baptize me. He gets baptized, goes in the Jordan River. 
And Jesus got a word of affirmation from his father. Remember, remember that story? Jesus is baptized and the dove descends. And God speaks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That is a, those are words that talk about absolute approval. Absolute acceptance. And aren't these the words that we all long to hear? You are accepted. Just as you are. You are approved. You are loved. You are special. That Jesus, he lived a life that none of us could live. And he went to the cross. He's hanging on the cross and he looks up to heaven and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God gave Jesus a silent on our behalf. Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? And God looks down and says, because of you and you and you and you and you and all of us in here today. And because Jesus did that in my place, because Jesus hung on that cross and took our sin upon himself, you and I can now receive those same words of affirmation. Because when we place our faith in Jesus, God says to us, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. And this changes our heart. This changes our heart. When you place your faith in Jesus, those words of affirmation becomes words of affirmation for us. Where God looks at us and says, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. This makes us a new creation. Where no longer is it me trying to be a better person no longer is it me trying to speak more life-giving words and life-giving words, but now these life-giving words becomes a part of who I am. It just become a part of my heart because that's what God is doing. He's making me new. And we need to believe this word. That is a heart issue. When we place our faith in Jesus, that he changes our heart. Listen, if you are a believer in here today, Listen, you and I, we need to grow in that word. We need to grow in that word. The most important thing that you get, you and I can get out of church is a place to hear the gospel message. A place not just to hear about religion or the things you and I are supposed to do, to do but a place that we can come and constantly be reminded of the gospel. That Jesus is changing our heart to make us a new creation. That's not just about what we do, it's about what God's doing in our heart, what God's doing inside. That he is making us new and changing us from the inside out. Listen, if anything I want Restoration Church to be known for isn't a bunch of people who just speak life to other people, but that we would be a people that God is changing our hearts through the gospel. And the byproduct of that is our words change. And our words begin to begin to, to give life to those around us. Listen, if you are not a believer in here today, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, listen, Christianity is not about doing and don't. It's not about a bunch of uh, rules to follow. It's about a Savior who lives inside of you, who changes your heart from the inside out. And I invite you today, place your faith in Jesus. Cry out to him and say, Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize I'm broken. I'm bent towards sin and rebellion. But today, today, Jesus, I'm asking you into my heart and my life. 
be my Savior to change me from the inside out. Today, make the decision to surrender to Christ today.